do you want to be prepared for anything that could happen in day-to-day -day life or when disaster strikes from the office to the outdoors then please go to squatchsurvivalgear.com and check out the packs that they have to offer they're made in america and i mean every single piece of fabric hardware buckle and frame all the labor too is right here in america so when you buy from squatch survival gear you're supporting multiple small businesses right here at home i've become good friends with chris um, he, he's a military vet so all of these packs are made to mill spec all right so they're all military standard packs they're good for everything these things are virtually bomb proof i promise you i own two of them i have the rock ape and the mothman pack they cannot be beaten i've i've had gear all my life i had gear in the military i have gear when i go hunting i have gear for camping the squat survival gear changes the game all right i i take one to work every day i take the mothman pack with me to work just use it as a regular backpack but it's so functional it's it's just unbelievable quality all right so please go to squatsurvivalgear.com now to save 15 percent site-wide i encourage you to use promo code 23 bump that's 23 b-u-m-p to save 15 percent site-wide Hosea 4.6 says, my people are destroyed from a lack of knowledge. So now that we have this knowledge, we have to remember to walk in 2 Timothy 1.7, which says, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. When he turned his back from shoulder to shoulder, it looked like as wide as the tailgate of a truck. This thing, let out the most blood-curdling, mind-blowing, spine-tingling scream that you've ever heard in your life, and it cut through me like a knife. And I knew that they were going to take me. I just knew it. And then the next thing I can remember is being levitated. Well, when I look in there, uh, I see two big eyes staring back at me. Hello and welcome. You're listening to The Bump Podcast, a place for the believers of the unexplained, monsters, and paranormal. Join us, and we'll go face-to-face -face with what goes bump in the night. there believers i got another fun and exciting episode for you this week today i'm bringing on carrie we met um probably through the blurry creatures um members page on facebook so another shout out to blurry creatures i love you guys nate and luke you guys do great work I love your ministry. That's what this has turned into. Let's be 100% real with that. You guys are doing the Lord's work. And I think um, Blurry Creatures is probably my favorite show. And that's 
in contention with this one. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I met Carrie on there. Um, we became Facebook friends. And this woman is a, a meme wizard. So watch for that. If you uh, if you see her on Facebook, it's probably from her stealing your memes and making them look funnier. Um, she wanted to come on and share her show today. Share her show. You can tell that it's a little early for me. This is summertime. I'm not used to getting up early. Um, share her story today. And I can't wait to hear it. And I can't wait to share it. So with no further delay, let's bring on Carrie. Okay. All right. Hey, Bo. Hey. Thanks so much for having me. Um, I just wanted to share a few of the experiences that I've had. <clears throat> um, the, the earliest experience that I can recall was when I was about five. Uh, I have, was running a very high fever and apparently I was prone to high fevers when I was young. I guess it, when I was about nine months old, I had had some febrile seizures because of the fevers. Hmm. Um, but I can remember laying in bed. When I was about five years old. The only light in the house on was my bedroom light, a little lamp on my bedstand. And I was laying there. Just, you know, how fevers hurt. They hurt all the way through. And the doorway was to my right. And I remember looking up and the, the light was off in the kitchen. So um, it was a completely just a black doorway. And I looked over and all of a sudden out of just a blank space materialized this static man. It was just the shape of a, a male. I mean, you know, kind of like the outline of the guy on the restroom door almost right. that kind of shape but it was made up of completely static just black and white pinpricks of light and i stare i stared at it for the longest time and then all of a sudden it there was one step down into my room from the kitchen and it walked over and it touched my hip just with one finger touched my hip and then disappeared completely. And what I wish I could remember was whether or not the fever broke, you know, right. which would be super cool. But I don't, I don't actually remember if it did or not. I do remember um, just falling asleep after that point. I wasn't um, terrified, you know. I didn't have any. I wasn't really that afraid. Right. Um. So, but that house. Um, was built into the side of a riverbank. And uh, my grandfather actually added on the, the bedrooms and things. Originally, it was just like a little square pillbox of a house, yeah. but it had a full foundation, a basement that went down into the side of the riverbank. And it was all stone foundation, you know, creepy old house. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, when you go down the cellar stairs, you know, it had the little boiler room behind the stairs. Mm -hmm. So, um, well, let me ask you, you were, uh, when it reached over and touched your hip, do you remember feeling it touch you? Yes. Like, was it hot, cold, anything, or just a pressure no, or just a pressure, just pressure. Like if somebody tapped you on the shoulder. Yep. Okay. 
That is wild. Yeah. Yeah. My dad, so growing up, my dad was a violent alcoholic. You know, I don't want to spend the show talking about how bad my dad was. He was um, a tortured soul. You know, he had a pretty rough childhood growing up and I just think he didn't know how to process it. But there were times, you know, when he would come home in a, a fit of rage and normally, you know, it was my mom who took the brunt of that stuff. But I can remember times when he was in that state that he didn't have, I mean, there were no whites to his eyes. His eyes would go completely black. Yeah. And um, I remember thinking that it was just because he was so drunk, you know, how people get their, you know, their pupils will dilate when they're under the influence of whatever. Yeah. So, but the, the more I learn about, you know, as Dr. Heiser would say, the unseen realm, right. um, the more I realized that he was probably just demonized and that that's really for me it's the only explanation for some of the things he was capable of in that state wow so um the next i'm sure i'm gonna probably miss some things but the next real sort of life-changing experience for me was when i was about 10 years old we stayed i stayed overnight at my aunt carol's house she was my favorite aunt and we watched me and a bunch of my cousins my older cousin jeff who i think was about mm, probably 13 at that time and we watched the amityville horror part two which is you know this the movie that the actual amityville story was based on uh, the defeo family yeah so at the very end of the movie, the priest tells the demon inside of Sonny DeFeo to come out of the boy and go into him, which, you know, of course he did. And so at that point, my cousin Jeff said, don't ever bet the devil because he'll take you up on it. And my mind just ran with that. Um, so I just played mental tricks with myself from that point on where you know you dare yourself to dare the devil and different things like that and that started to manifest itself in some pretty disturbing ways oh wow um i i ended up getting this like really bad ocd where you know if you tap your foot your left foot then you have to tap your right foot the same number of times or yeah. if you blink one eye, you have to blink the other eye the same number of times. And it was always about counting. You know, it was very, um, well, obsessive, obsessive compulsive. And so that went on, I would say for probably a good year. And it, it was really tormenting. At one point in time where my aunt Carol lived that it was a six apartment building you know, where there's just six apartments in a row. And at one point in time, my whole, that every apartment was full of my family members. Mm. So there's my grandmother, my great grandmother and aunt, you know, so on and so forth. Well, my aunt Carol lived in the end apartment. And then my grandmother lived in the second to last apartment from the other end. 
And what should have been maybe a three minute walk took me about 45 minutes one night because I insisted that I walk straight line out into the middle of the street and make a 90 degree turn and then do the same thing to get into grandma's house. And I ha I just kept doing it over and over and over. And um, finally I told my mom wh about what was happening. And this had gone on for so long. I, I swear it had to be about a year that I was being tormented this way. And I finally broke down and told my mom about it. And she's like, well, pray to God and Jesus. And I did, and it, I was delivered from that. Wow. So, that just that, that's the faith of a child, I think is what that is. Like it, it just, just changed your life right there. Yes. Yes. And like in a snap of a finger, I was delivered from that. I didn't, I didn't feel the need to count anymore. I didn't feel, you know, like light switches were a big thing. Uh, it's just super weird, but yeah. it wasn't too long after that that we ended up moving into that same apartment building. Well, so let me see. So Jeff was probably about 15. That's the same cousin, you know, who had said that. And that was like a seminal moment for me. That, oh, yeah. that affected me so deeply that I, I will never forget it. So he ended up, uh, he was on a hunting trip with one of his friends and his friend's dog. And this is this, this is what they said that the friend's dog jumped on Robbie, who was Jeff's friend and n hit his hunting rifle. And Jeff ended up getting shot in the stomach with a 22 round. And he was in Albany medical center for like ICU for about eight months. Oh my God. And, uh, cause he had a hole in his stomach. And I mean, he, he was really close to death. And then of course, you know, that, that he was never really the same after that. Um, but when he got back home, he, he got really dark. So the apartments were basically mirror images of each other. And so his apartment being on the end, my apartment was two doors down from there. And so our apartments were um, exact where they were the same. Yeah. So in our apartment, my bedroom was the up, the small bedroom in the upstairs, and he had the small bedroom in the upstairs of his apartment. So anyway, after he had been back from the hospital for a while, he ended up getting going down a real dark path and he painted his bedroom glossy, high gloss black. And then the ceiling was red like blood red and with 666 painted around the light fixture and then all kinds of just death metal kind of posters and things yeah it's pretty dark yeah real dark yeah so um i remember being in my bedroom in the upstairs and all the time feeling like there was something in the ceiling like the upper right hand corner of my room was always watching me and i I couldn't shake it. I, you know, you try and brush it off as you're just being paranoid or, but with everything that had happened previously, I, I just felt like there was something dark there stalking yeah. me and it originated from Jeff's room. But, you know, with my, 
with my childhood being the way it was, my dad being violent and like my mom was battered wife syndrome and all that, I ended up getting really angry, like very angry. So I sort of went down a bit of a dark path myself yep. with, um, you know, drug use and music and, you know, how, how it is. So, um, I sort of, I, I walked away from God, not because I didn't know he was there. I knew he was there, but I was just mad at everybody, everybody, yeah. everything, you know, um, at one point my mom ended up in the hospital. So that it just seemed like to justify my anger. And, and so I let it sort of run away with me, but let me see if I can get back on track here. My dad ended up leaving and get, getting remarried and they lived in a house in Saratoga Springs, which is about a, a block away from the racetrack. And my, my little brother and I would go down there and spend the weekends. And I remember I was sleeping on his couch one night and the TV was playing, but I don't remember what was on. And I woke up from a dream and there was a dark figure on the, on the porch mm. right outside the window in the living room. And it startled me, you know, I woke up and I started to run toward dad's room. And I even remember to the point where Queenie, our dog was laying in the doorway and I jumped over her and sprinted to dad's room. Cause I was going to tell him that there was somebody on the porch. And just about the time I went to jump over Queenie, I, I woke up for real. So I woke up in the dream wow. before I actually woke up. Yeah. So that was pretty scary. Uh, I, I never really had any explanation. I, when I woke up in real life, the same show was on the TV, but Queenie was laying next to me. And I got up and I... I don't know where I found the courage to do this, but I looked out the curtains onto the porch and there wasn't anyone there. Mm. But um, the, the thing is, is that with all the darkness going on in my town, where I grew up, my dad's childhood was very rough. Well, um, and he actually grew up in a house in Woodford, Vermont, which is right at the, almost at the trailhead of the long trail. I don't, are you familiar with the Long Trail? I'm sure you are. It goes all the way through Appalachia. The Long Trail? Yeah, it was a big um, attraction in Bennington. I grew up in Bennington, Vermont. And I remember thinking as a teenager with all the with all the stuff that went on in my home and everything, I was thinking, you know, this place is cursed. There's so much drug abuse, so much alcoholism, so much domestic violence and so much adultery and all sorts of different kinds of perversion you know like yeah. pedophilia and all that kind of stuff i just remember thinking sitting at a traffic light even just being like this place is cursed what is wrong with this place well then come to find out it's i would live i grew up right in the middle of the bennington triangle which is a it's a triangle of land between shaftesbury bennington and glossenberry and where, which is notorious for mysterious disappearances. You know, back in the, I think it was the 1800s, there was 
sightings of something called the Bennington Monster. What? Yeah, I I think it must have been Bigfoot. Yeah. Um, there are accounts of when Glossenberry Mountain was being developed. They they clear cut the lumber up there to make charcoal. And so for people to get from Bennington to Glossenberry, there was a stagecoach that would take them up there. And with, with all the lumber being cut the way it had been, you know, when the, the snow melts in the springtime, these freshets would come through and just, it would be like flash flooding out of nowhere. Right. But this stagecoach was trying to get up to Glossenberry from Bennington one night and the, it got stuck in a rut with mud. And so the stagecoach driver got off his seat to see if he could free it. And there, there was some sort of hairy monster Wow! <laughs> right there. And I mean, he saw the footprints and everything. And this thing ended up tipping the stagecoach over onto its side, which, you know, all this is pretty, I have this book here which this guy, Joseph Citro, he's the one who coined the term, the Bennington Triangle. Yeah. But, you know, if at some point you're interested, I can um, share some of these stories with you. But just in the Abenaki, Indians used to call Glossenberry cursed. It was the place of the four winds. So they wouldn't ever go up there. So just coming to find out, you know, what I know now about principalities and different powers that are in control of different geographical areas, it, it makes a lot more sense. Yeah. You know what? And this is totally unrelated to the, uh, maybe unrelated to the rest of your story, but you just gave me the confirmation I was asking for last night in my prayers. Um, uh, I, I might even edit this out of the show, but every every month i teach at the church right mm -hmm. and uh it's been it's been on spiritual warfare so i started with just an overview of what spiritual warfare is what demons are what mm -hmm. we're dealing with the next month i went into like psalms 91 and then i went into um first corinthians 13 about love and then i go on to like psalm 34 and then just so on and so forth and just pulling out different yeah your sunday musings yes 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 I, I didn't even think about that yeah sunday musing stuff i'm recording at the church um and it hit me with, as soon as i got done last week um teaching well we talk about principalities and powers being what we're really against i should probably explain what principalities are and I've I've looked it up for myself and I got two or three different directions to go in. And then last night I started feeling conflicted about it. So I just prayed. I was like, God, you know, if 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 principalities are what I'm supposed to speak about, mm -hmm. let me know and make it clear. And then eight hours later, the first person I talked to was you and you talk you just brought up principalities. And I know I got a weird show, but that was not part of what I thought we were going to talk about. Yeah. I really think that that influences more 
of our surroundings than we ever give it credit for. Yes, me too. And two, this thing, I mean, the, the feeling of dread and darkness that seemed to follow me my whole childhood, I, I didn't have any sort of religious upbringing. You know, my mother's parents were Mormon and nobody on my dad's side was religious except for my aunt who was Jehovah witness. So the only church I ever got to attend as a kid was the kingdom hall. And so I'm thinking that whatever sort of tagging me around is related to one of those, you know, lineages Yeah. or maybe even Freemasonry. I don't, I don't know, but, um, I ended up moving with my older brother, I moved out of Vermont um, when I was mm, probably, I'm going to say 20. And I lived with him and his wife and their baby in Schenectady, New York. For We were there for about eight months, I think. And um, my my brother and his wife went out to dinner one night and I was, I stayed home to babysit Dixon, who was about, I think about eight months at the time. And I was living on, I was living in their living room and this apartment was an upstairs apartment and it was a really old building. Um, and I think that if I'm not mistaken, it was Sharon's, my sister-in-law's like old family home place where her grandmother, who was from Italy, lived in that apartment till the time she died. And the, the her aunt, I believe, still does live there in the in the downstairs apartment. So anyway, Winnie and Sharon went out to dinner one night and I stayed home to babysit. And I had the pullout sofa open and it was a pretty small living room. So by the time the sofa was opened up, there was no room to walk. And so the end of the pullout bed was basically smack up against the TV. So I was sitting on the end of the bed and Dixon was asleep in his um, bassinet. And from my vantage point, and I left all the lights on, I'm not crazy, you know, I mean, (laughs) I didn't really dig too much being there alone anyway. But um, so from I was sitting basically at the foot of the pullout bed and just right real close to the TV. So from my vantage point, I could look over my right shoulder through the hallway, kitty corner into the kitchen where the lights were on. And I, I don't remember what show I was watching or anything, but all of a sudden I hear this banging and I'm thinking, oh, those guys are home early, you know, because they hadn't been gone that long. So I look over my right shoulder into the kitchen and all the cabinet doors are slamming open and shut. Oh, no. yeah. For about Mm -hmm. 15 seconds straight, which doesn't seem like a long time until all your cabinet doors are slamming open (laughs) and shut. (laughs) And it's a really long time. Yeah. So I was frozen in fear. I didn't move. I didn't move a muscle. And I think it probably was about another hour before those guys really did get home. And when they came home, I said to Sharon, I told them what that had happened. And Sharon said, oh, that's just my grandmother. And, uh... I guess Uh she still was visiting because Sharon said that when she would go in to check on Dixon in the middle of the night, 
he would be tucked in, you know, he'd have his little covers up to his chin and Sharon knew that she hadn't covered him up before she went to bed because he was in his sleeper jammies. And um, so this seemed to be a regular occurrence for her. So I was like, well, if you wouldn't mind, could you just tell her <laughs> to leave me alone? Because I'm not really into that. It yeah. scared me pretty good. Well, we ended up moving to Tampa not too long after that. And so she was okay with this ghost grandmother tucking her son into bed yeah for her i guess it was confirmation that her grandmother was still there and she didn't get any kind of ookies off it but for me i don't know if the grandmother didn't like me i i don't know Oof. yeah it seemed it seemed pretty aggressive yeah, <laughs> for, yeah that sounded like it um well so then we ended up moving to Tampa not too long after Sharon had gotten a job down there and we all moved. It was a toss up, I guess, between there and Atlanta, but either way we were moving out of the Northeast. Right. So, um, through the course of, well, I guess probably in the first year, within the first year, I really felt like I needed, I wanted some sort of spiritual connection uh, so I started to look for churches to attend. So one Sunday night, I went to this, I'm pretty sure it was a Baptist church somewhere in Tampa. And they had um, like an adult Bible study before the service. And so I went and just sat in on it. And I really was longing to feel a connection to God. But the, there were some ladies there who started bickering, like raised voices and everything, bickering mm. about what year Martin Luther <laughs> uh, nailed his thesis to the door. So right. I, I actually just got up and left. I didn't want, I, I didn't want to hear arguing. I didn't go there to hear arguing. If I wanted to hear arguing, you know, I had had plenty of that right. throughout my life. So um, anyway, I ended up walking away from there and I ended up, was recommended a book series by a friend I had made in the apartment complex. And they said uh, that I should really check out this series called The Incarnations of Immortality. I don't know if you're familiar with it, but it's this, it's like a seven or eight book series where each of these, um, these incarnations were filled by human people. So human people became time or death or you know all these forces these unseen forces that control the world were actually filled by human people oh, wow. so yeah it was pretty bizarre but it ended up i ended up walking into um a metaphysical bookstore one day looking for i think another installment in this series and so I talked to the owner for a little while and needless to say, it, I was influenced. Yep. Um, and so I started being really curious about Wicca. And so I ended up getting involved in Wicca and more and more, you know, reading the books and the, all the different spells and all that kind of mess. 
So I had been connected with uh, an actual coven in Moon Lake, which is, I guess, right outside Port Ritchie, Newport Ritchie, Florida. And so I had driven to this lady's house a couple of different times, but this was the first time that I had ever been involved in like a full meeting with mm-hmm. cast in the circle and all that. Oh, wow. And this room that she used for these rituals was covered like every single wall there was not one inch of her wall that was exposed it was every inch of her wall was covered with some sort of relief or symbol or sigil or green man there was a lot of the green man you know carvings and different stuff like that really so yeah and i'll be honest i don't really i i didn't really know if i believed any of that but there I was involved in a magic circle, yeah. you know, and after whatever ritual they were doing was over, they tell you to put both your hands flat on the floor to ground yourself and to let whatever energy build up, you know, to get it so you, to ground yourself so you can, um, I don't know, get back in your right mind or something. So I ended up leaving there. And I drove for probably a half an hour, 45 minutes before I realized that I was lost. I was way out in Moon Lake, which is really dark and it's like swamp. Oh my goodness. Yeah. So um, finally I realized I have no idea where I am and I can only attribute that to the fact that I I was in some for, sort of haze or yeah. fog still from whatever that ritual was, you know, and I feel so bad. I apologize to the Lord all the time for that's just treason, you know, it's um, betrayal. I betrayed him by seeking after those false gods who are alive and well very much by the way i mean i know you know this but i feel like a lot of times people today think that oh those old small g gods are a thing of the past and now the giants that we face are greed and um distraction and but no these things are very much alive and still influencing our behaviors to this day. Absolutely. They are. So, um, let me see. I'm trying to get us up to my mom. So my mom moved to Statesville, North Carolina, which is where I live now. Okay. But she moved down here, um, before, before I ever left Bennington. So she's lived down here for a long time. And my younger brother, Casey, lived down here with her. And the house that they, and she still lives in this house today, they ended up buying it, but it was one of the first houses on their block. So it was really old. Um, I think it was like a hundred years old by the time she ever moved into it. But my little brother's room was off the living room and he he saw quite a bit of weird stuff there um 
he said one day he was sitting in his room and his bedroom door was open and he was looking out into the living room and the, the, I don't know if the, if it was dark in the living room or not, but he said all of a sudden there was like this lavender colored orb about so big started floating towards him from the living room into his room. Wow. And then when it got almost to him, it popped with an audible pop. And there was another time where my mom and Casey, who's my little brother, were looking at some old pictures. And the picture they were looking at was a black and white picture of my stepdad when he was a little boy and his mom. And there were they were standing in front of a tree and they saw my little brother's name written out in the tree. Like this is probably 60 years before he was born. Well, 40 at least. Yeah. So anyway, um, and now nobody knows where that picture is. Of course. Right. Um, so let me see. That is wild though. Yeah, when we moved down here, so after um, I lived in Florida for about five or six years and ended up moving back to Vermont. And that's when um, my husband and I got together. We were actually, um, we had known each other from high school and different stuff. But uh, when I moved back up in 97, we started dating and um, So let me see, after we got married, we ended up moving back down. We moved down here to the house right directly next door to where my mom is now on Boss Street. And um, the kids were really little. My son was maybe six weeks old when we left out of Vermont. And I can I just say too, before I moved back to Vermont, when I was living in Tampa, I was like, oh, I can't wait to get home. I really was homesick for it for some reason. But then once I got back there, I was like, oh yeah, I remember now why I left because it was, it feels like the place is just cursed. Yeah. You know, how the atmosphere in a place is different. And once you get to the town line, it's like, mm, something can, is just off. You can feel it. Yes. Yes, yes. you can feel it. And it, it manifests itself in the way people act, and the way people even look. You know, and the way they treat each other, it's, it's pretty dark. But I don't know. Have you ever heard about the Bennington Triangle before? I hadn't. This is the first time I've heard of the Bennington Triangle. Yeah, I'm not sure what all is the cause or the root of it, but there were some pretty famous unexplained myth, um, disappearances during all that. So, I mean, maybe if you want, we can talk about it in more detail at some point. But I'm yeah. pretty sure it's like, a black hole. I don't know what the spiritual forces are there, but do you know the, um, I always used to think, uh, cause when I was a teenager, I would read Stephen King books all the time and pet cemetery. Mm -hmm. It just made me think of this pet cemetery where everything goes to die. Yeah. Oh yeah. I've heard of the, uh, the black water triangle. Yes. Yeah, that's, that's in Connecticut, right? Yep. Yep. So this is, uh, it's also New England, but it's not quite. Do they touch? Are they 
are they parallel with each other in any way? Do they run in a north-south line from each other? Or uh, It's possible. Or the Bridgewater. Bridgewater Triangle. Bridgewater, that's right. I was yeah. say Blackwater. Bridgewater Triangle, yeah. Yeah, which is kind of weird now that you mention it because my grandma Phillips used to talk about living in Bridgewater, Connecticut for a while before she got married. I don't know. But they're up in Glossenberry. There's a fire tower up there and you can hike up to it. And when you get there, there's a cairn, you know, this, the, not a monolith standing stone, but a pile of standing stones. Right. That's interesting too. There's so much that went on before. They, they just try to blame it or give credit to Native Americans. Oh, yeah. But there's so much. I don't know. I don't even know what kind of history it is, but there's so much history that we just. Yeah, absolutely. There's a lot. Um, and two, what's really interesting to me are ley lines, these yes. energy centers and things like that. Yeah. I'd love to learn more about those and yeah. how they correspond. Yeah, to that's these on the dark places. That's one of those like lists of things to figure out one day, you know, like when I can retire, let's dig into that. Yeah. And, uh, and it'd be really cool. You know, my kids are older now, so we talk about this kind of stuff. And yeah. Sammy, my son, is always like, oh, we should go. We should go there, you know, and I'd love to be able to do that and actually maybe video some of these places. But yes, um, I, I had a quick question for you. Sure. Um, so you're driving down Moon Lake, middle of nowhere, out in the swampy land. Is that the last time you visited that coven or did you have to break ties with them in some way? No, I just never went back because it freaked me out. <laughs> you like, no, it, I just dropped that. <laughs> yeah, it freaked me out pretty good. Um, but that I didn't necessarily re repent of the witchcraft at that point or anything. Right. So it was sort of still an open box of yep. interest for me. But no, I never went back to that. I think her name was Lady Urania. <laughs> um, so, of course, since then, you know, I've been saved and oh, I yeah. got rid of all the stuff and burned it. But yeah. So the house, when we moved back, when we moved down from Vermont in 2003, we ended up moving into the house right next door to my mom's house and there was a spot in that house that you have to walk down this hallway to go through a room to get to the kitchen. The floor plan in this place is just a mess. But every time I would get to that one spot in the hallway, it would always feel like there was somebody right on the other side of the wall, mm. you know, like getting ready to jump out at you. Yeah. But it's pretty strange because that room that you had to walk through to get to the kitchen had two closets one on the left and one on the right. Well, the closet on the right, which is closest to the doorway that you had to get through to get into the kitchen was actually a bricked up stairway. So there was an upstairs to this place, but the entrance to it was bricked off. So they just made it into a closet. Mm. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't really know anything about the house or anything, but I do remember asking the Hendersons who owned the place if they knew anything, you know, what had ever taken place there or why the 
the stairway was bricked off or anything. And Mrs. Henderson just basically chuckled and said, no, I don't, I don't know of anything about it, but there's something going on there. My mom still lives in the house next door to it. And I still don't like looking up into that window because you can see the upstairs from mom's driveway, but I'm always like a little bit freaked out. Like I'm going to see somebody up there, but yeah, there are people living there now. They don't complain about it. So Mm. let me see. We lived, we ended up moving into the house we're in now the weekend of hurricane Katrina. So 2005, we've been here for almost 18 years now. And I haven't had anything freaky happen here, but my son said that he saw an orb at the end of his bed one night. And I said, Oh, did you rebuke it? You know, right. Or at least call on Jesus or anything. He's like, no, I just rolled back over and went to sleep. Cause he Uh-oh. didn't want, he didn't even pay it any attention. So I guess it didn't get the energy he it desired. So yeah. it, as far as I know, he hasn't had anything happen like that again, but that was pretty recent. Well, Back when my kids were smaller and they were going to public elementary school, I was leaving the house one day to go pick them up from school. And the road, our main road that I had to take to get to their school is kind of twisty, you know? So you go up a hill and then down a hill and then over a really narrow bridge. And then as soon as you get over that bridge, it's kind of like a blind curve that goes up, like kind of like a corkscrew before it straightens out. So on my way to pick them up from school one day, I'm driving the minivan and out of nowhere, this foul, like it smelled like death. This horrible smell came through the vents. And so it startled me because it was so awful. And I'm looking in my rear view, like, did I run over some sort of roadkill or something like that? Right. There was nothing in the road and just this really rotten smell coming through my vents. So naturally I took my foot off the gas and started messing with the controls on the, on the heater. And I think eventually I just turned it off and went about my business. Well, as soon as I turned off the vents, I looked up and just started driving again. I started to accelerate and I'm coming down the hill, getting ready to cross that narrow bridge. All of a sudden, a semi truck, matte black cab and trailer, matte black, no kind of logos, no symbols or anywhere on it, just a black truck and a black cab comes whipping around that corkscrew corner in my lane. Mm. Like if I had kept going, there's no way I wouldn't have been totaled right. in, in a wreck. This thing was, when it came down around that corkscrew curve, it was all the way in my lane. So I don't know. I feel like that was the Lord's protection, whatever that smell was, you know, to sort of postpone my crossing of that bridge yep. saved my life. Yeah. I'm certain of it. So, um, as far as weird stuff goes, I think that, I mean, there might've been other minor instances, but 
for the most part, um, I think that sums it up on the paranormal type stuff. Yeah. But I ended up getting saved in 2006 because it was the year following our move to this house. And my aunt invited me to the dedication of her little baby, Jacob, who uh, I think was about eight months at the time of his dedication. It was in July of 2006. So Pastor Morgan, who was, man, this guy, he loved the Lord so much that it was, it shone through him. Oh, yeah. He would walk into a room and you just feel better for him being there. That's how close to the Lord he was. And that made a huge, that had a huge effect on me. So I was fortunate enough to be invited to that dedication ceremony. And when he gave the altar call that day, man, I knew he was talking to me. Yep. I knew he was talking to me. So I responded to the altar call. I got saved that day. And then after this, after um, he was done preaching, he came down and congratulated me. And he said, now, nah, as soon as you leave here, the devil's going to try and convince you it didn't happen. That's the truth. It is. It is. It definitely is. Yeah. So, you know, throughout, I mean, I was always kind of the pack rat of the family. So throughout the moves and whatever, I would always save the photo albums and the family Bible and different whatever books. Um, but I never had a Bible of my own. So that day I went to Walmart and got my very own first Bible. And, be, and I had been struggling with smoking. So I'd quit smoking for probably four or five years. But then with different stressors and moves and things like that, money, trouble, you know, yep. I, you always just convince yourself, oh, well, well, if I quit before I can quit again, but it doesn't get easier. It gets harder. Yeah. So I was playing this little game where I would smoke during the day and then put a patch on at night. Basically, I was begging for a stroke is what it comes down to. Yeah. And I was just having the hardest time kicking it. So before the cellophane was even off this Bible, I put my hand on it and I prayed. I said, Lord, if you will deliver me from this, I'll never touch another one again. And bam, I never touched another one again. I never even had a craving. Wow. I never had another patch. I never chewed any more gum. And this is, I'm talking about, I was a heavy smoker. Yeah. So I was delivered. Like in, in an instant, delivered from wow. that addiction so um that was in july of 2006 well fast forward to march 2010 that little cousin jacob yeah the one whose dedication ceremony i attended he was involved in an accident where his grandpa was doing something with a, a full size, like a Massey deal tractor, you know, the big orange ones. Mm -hmm. And somehow or other, this thing popped out of gear and it ended up rolling onto Jacob and pressing him against the railing on the trailer. Oh my goodness. And yeah, just about crushed him to death. So the, his grandpa was frantic obviously trying to figure out how to get this thing off of him so he had to run back to the house and get a jack and 
um, Jacob's older brother, Jamie was there and he said, Papa, what am I supposed to do? What do I do? And his grandfather told him pray. And Jamie hit his knees and started crying out to the Lord. And these guys know, I mean, they, they were raised up in church, you know, right. I mean, they're the ones who got me going. So he started praying, crying out. And so finally his grandpa came back with the jack and was able to get the, the tractor off of Jacob. And he ran with him in his arms and they got in his little pickup truck and drove straight to the hospital. And so when they got to the ER, he walked in and just handed the first person he saw, he handed Jacob to them and said, help me, help me. So the nurse who was on duty that day had the presence of mind to, because his pelvis was shattered. Yeah. And she had the presence of mind to take a bed sheet and, you know, tie it around his waist. And you know how God works stuff out. Oh, how yeah. every, All these things were just click, click, click one after another, everything fell into place for this kid, you know, because it turns out that the life flight that was going to take him to Charlotte was already doing maneuvers. They were already doing practice maneuvers. So it was on its way back to Iredell from Catawba. Yeah. And so it was already almost back to the hospital where they needed him. And then they life flighted him to Charlotte, to the Levine's Children's Hospital down in Charlotte. Oh. And um, so obviously, I mean, they got him where to the Charlotte's a big city, you know, they had they had the what they needed for him at Levine's and they had worried because of the extent of his injuries nobody really expected him to make it you know the doctors nobody so they were going to give him some time to actually heal somewhat from the internal injuries before they were going to do surgery on his bones and so they go in to repair whatever had happened in his because i mean you're talking about a full size tractor leaning up against a five-year-old boy. There was internal injury. Yeah. So they went in to see what they could do to correct that. And while they were there, they noticed that the pelvis wasn't as crushed as they thought it was. It was only broken in three places and they were able to just fit it back together. Kind of like a jigsaw puzzle. Right. Yep. So they could stabilize his pelvis while they're in there. And they did, and it really improved his prognosis. So um, there's that miraculous healing. Yes. You know, and Jacob, uh, what is he, 16 now? So, yeah, I mean, he's doing well. If you saw that kid walking towards you, except for one of his feet, it turns out a little bit, you would never know. You would never wow. know. But this whole entire community, his church, the community, everybody mobilized in prayer and they just surrounded them in love and prayer. Absolutely. So um, then the next miraculous healing that I have on my list was for my own daughter. She's had um, pretty serious bouts with asthma throughout her life. And she had actually been hospitalized probably five or six times. Well, in December of 2013, she ended up with double pneumonia. And so we are in the same hospital, Iredell Memorial. 
and um, her lung collapsed. And so they ended up transporting us to Brenner's Children's Hospital over in Winston-Salem. And that was on a Thursday night. We got there Thursday afternoon, late, late afternoon. And um, so by Friday morning, I had the resident come in and tell me that I need to prepare myself for the worst possible outcome. And then, you know, I, I don't accept that. I didn't accept it. You know, I was like, I don't know whose kid you're talking about, but it's not mine. Right. And then the head of the department was this little Japanese guy. He came in and he told me a similar thing about three hours later. He came in and said, look, we've had her on IV antibiotics. Um, she's on steroids. She's on as much oxygen as we can give her. And the effusions are still spreading. So you really need to prepare yourself for the worst possible outcome. And I don't accept that. I said, I don't accept that. That's not for my daughter. Right. So I stayed by her side every minute, except for when my husband came down and relieved me so I could go shower and things like that. Well, you know, I kept a brave face when I was in the room with her, I mean, she was, she wasn't unconscious, but she was not able to sit up. She, she, they had suction in the side of her mouth. And I'm, I'm frankly, I'm surprised that they didn't intubate her, but I just given their demeanor, I don't know if they thought it was worth it. Oh my goodness. They thought that she was going to die. Yeah. So, um, but she couldn't sit up. She was weak. You know, she, I mean, her oxygen saturation was in the 70s. Oh, no. So, yeah, she was in real rough shape. But still, this prognosis they kept trying to push on me, I wasn't having it. I was like, I don't believe it. Right. But when her dad would come and relieve me so I could go shower, I would stay in there for an hour praying, crying out to God to save my little girl. Yeah. So... That Saturday, now we're talking about two full days now with her on death's door. And they, um, Dr. Nakagawa, he was a little Japanese guy. He was running the department at Brenner's, the PICU. And he would invite me out so that when they were doing their rounds, I would get the lay of the land and he wouldn't have to explain it to me separately. I would just be there with the department heads so that you know, to see what the prognosis was. Well, that Saturday morning, the, um, there was a respiratory therapist I, that I don't, we, we hadn't seen her before. So she said, you know, they are experimenting with a new kind of um, therapy at the Cleveland Clinic where they combine helium with oxygen. And because the helium molecule is so much smaller, it can carry the oxygen into, you know, farther down into the lung tissue. So Dr. Nakagawa's response to that was, well, at this point, we don't have anything to lose. So that to me was a smack in the face, you know, yeah. I had been, I had been holding strong to my faith up until that point, 
But when he said that, I got to admit, it was like a punch in the gut. Yeah. I mean, I was still believing God for her healing, but that hit me. It hit yeah. me hard. Yeah, no doubt. So, but true to their word, they brought that helium tank up and started combining it with her oxygen because she was on some insane amount of oxygen at that time. Well, once they combined the helium with it, within no exaggeration, within four hours, she was sitting up asking for food. Are you serious? I'm serious. I'm serious. So, you know, of course, in my prayers, I was crying out to the Lord, touch her and heal her, you know, whatever you have to do, please yeah. just save my little girl. And so what did he do? He, he sent this respiratory therapist to, you know, share some information Yep. that the head of this PICU was unaware of, you know, so not only did that bit of information save my daughter's life, but now I'm sure, I mean, I would assume that they've sort of incorporated that same therapy into the treatment of other kids as well. Yes. So, um, then, so I just have one more story. Yeah. Yeah. Take your job. Um, my older brother, Wayne, the one that I had lived with in Schenectady and moved to Tampa with. Yeah. Um, well, actually, let me back up just a little bit. My mom's mom had died from an aortic aneurysm when I was about, let me see, it was 1980, so I would have been nine or almost nine. Well, my grandma Harrington wasn't feeling good, and so my mom took her to the emergency room in Bennington. And they sent her home and told her, you know, it's just whatever, go take a warm bath. It's probably just your nerves. And when my mom was coming back from the hospital with grandma Harrington to pick us up at, you know, grandma, my other grandmother's house, her aorta dissected in the car and she ended up dying there in the car outside of my other grandmother's house. Oh no. So Come to find out that aneurysm of the aorta is hereditary in my mom's family. So um, throughout the course of the years, they found out that my mom has the same aneurysm, but they're controlling it medically. My uncle, her brother has the same aneurysm, but they actually fixed it surgically. And then in December of 2019, my older brother, Wayne, was at work and he said he bent over to fix the corner of a rug or whatever. And all of a sudden, when he went to stand up, he said he felt this pressure in his chest. And the best way he could explain was that it felt like his head was a helium balloon and it was starting to leave his body. Mm. You know. Well, again, the Lord working where he has these, these situations, you know, where all the steps that you're supposed to go through are already laid out for you yep. sort of, so that these people are prepared. Well, um, he knew about the aortic aneurysm that he had because they had been tracking it, you know, so his doctor was aware of it. He was aware of it. And which is a good thing because when he, um, the guy, the, his coworker gave him a ride to the hospital 
as soon as they got to the hospital, he explained to the to the person, the first person of the hospital that he encountered there, he explained what he believed was happening. And so obviously they expedited the whole situation. My sister-in-law called me. I was at work and told me what was happening. And man, I left work. I came home and I hit my face. I hit the floor. Yes. I just started praying. And I'm not, look, I'm not in any way, I don't believe I affected the situation at all, except for the fact that I called on the Lord and he affected the situation. Yes. You know, when I believe prayer works, I know it works. Absolutely. You know, you, you couldn't convince me otherwise. So in talking with my brother after, you know, after he regained consciousness and everything, and he walked me through what had actually happened, he, he said that just because of where he was that day, the person, you know, that gave him a ride knew where exactly to go the person that he talked to at the hospital knew exactly what to do they ended up transporting him to a heart center i think in cape coral or naples or somewhere like that mm. anyway so his aorta is is in the process of dissecting you know and once that happens it's 30 seconds right yeah and you're bleeding out that's it yeah the same exact thing that what had happened to um, our grandmother. So he gets into surgery down at this heart center. And just as they, they had him on bypass, they're cracking his chest open to repair this, to, to repair his aorta. And just as they cracked his chest open, the, his aorta dissected with the surgeon's hands in his chest. Oh my goodness. So, I mean, that's, that's the Lord. Yep. Wow. Yeah. Thank God. Amen. Yeah. Thank and, God. I mean, he, he's, um, he's alive. He's well, he's functioning. I mean, he still has some medical difficulties. Right. I come to find out, you know, he has other weakenings we you know weaknesses in some of the walls of his other arteries and veins throughout his vascular system but i pray for him i pray that the lord's just going to touch and heal his entire cardiovascular system just mm -hmm. restore it to factory specs you know that's just it. the way the lord intended it to operate so i'm i'm believing that that's going to be true i know he had to have a pacemaker put in recently yeah um, but i mean all things considered he's doing pretty well i mean he's back to work he's alive and drawing wow. air so yeah you know trouble will come but the lord will see you through it you know we just have to remain faithful amen and that that's wonderful i love hearing miracle stories and and healings and that that makes me so excited you know, I, I'm ready to see those things happen in, in the people I know. We have some we have some kids in our area that are battling leukemia mm. and we're praying for them babies every day. Yes. And I just I'm expecting their miracles and I can't wait. I can't wait to witness it. Amen. Amen. Well, I think I've hit everything on my list. Okay. 
Well, except, except there was one other sleep paralysis episode that I had here in this house. And that was probably 2021, mm. you know, once the whole pandemic nonsense and shutdowns and all that stuff, I really think that they overplayed their hand because what it gave people the opportunity to do was look into a lot of this stuff that we wouldn't have had time to see before. That's right. So I remember I was watching a video and it was the first time that I had ever heard about um, frequencies and blood, the way blood vibrates at a certain frequency, different things like that. Anyway, it was in that vein. Anyway, that, uh, no pun intended, actually, but <laughs> um, that was the subject matter. So I fell asleep on my back in my bed and in my dream. The TV, this is a static thing again. The TV was on static, you know, like bug fights, like it used to be when we were little kids, when the yep. TV would go off air at 2 a.m. or whatever. And so in my dream, I wake up and I look at the TV that's up on the wall and it's all static. And then as I'm looking at it, a dragon comes out of the TV right in my face, gets right in my face and growls at me and then goes right back into the TV. And I woke up in real life this time. I woke up for real and I was clenching my teeth so hard. I thought they were all going to break. Oh my God. But so praise the Lord. I haven't had any other sleep paralysis. I had had some like recurring dreams and stuff from when I was younger, but yeah. But that is about, that's about it for me for now. Well, you have covered the gamut. And I, as, as I talk to people, I try to think of you know, what will be a good title for their show. And uh, I, I think I found one for this one. And it, it's just, it's such a, a broad spectrum of things that you've dealt with and have overcome and witnessed. I just, I love it. I love your journey. I love that you've shared it all with us. I thank you so much for doing that. Um, it's just been wonderful talking to you in person. Well, as close you to it in person as we can get right now. Yeah. Um, you know, I on the pre-intro, you know, that I record before I, I bring you on, I, I talked about uh, you're a meme wizard. <laughs> yeah. I said somehow with, when you share it it makes it funnier like I know that, that that's a good meme when Carrie steals it and, mm. <laughs> and puts it out there oh I appreciate that but I have to admit that about 95% of the stuff I share is just ripped off from somewhere else so <laughs> I'm just a conduit for the funny that's right that's right <laughs> well you keep doing it uh it's been so wonderful talking to you I hope you, you too, have Bo. a good rest of your day and uh May God bless you and keep in touch with me. Amen. You too. Thanks. Thank you. Bye-bye. <clears throat> Bye-bye. Do you love coffee? Of course you do. Who don't? I'm drinking a cup right now. SoberVet Coffee is a military family-owned company that brings together a love of coffee and support for military-affiliated people in recovery. SoberVet Coffee donates 20% of net proceeds to charities that support military and veteran mental health. Co-founders and spouses, David and Christina Beardsley, built 
SoberVet Coffee to connect current and former military families that are in the community of recovery. This specialty third wave coffee is roasted to order, so you are guaranteed the freshest brew. It's available in whole bean or ground for your home brewer. And listeners will receive a 10% discount with the code Bump Believers. That's B U M P B E L I E V E R S. Bump Believers. Go to SoberVetCoffee.com, find the blend you like, and order a batch today. I believe in this coffee because I believe in David Beardsley. I served with Dave, we deployed together, and I love him like family. God bless you, and God bless America. That's it for this week, guys. Thanks for listening. If you want more content, if you want to submit your own story to be on the show, if you want to listen to past episodes, or if you want to donate to the show, you can do all of that through thebumppodcast.com. So just go there, um, explore the website, check it all out. If you want to sign up to be a member, it's super cheap. It's just $1.75 a week. You can cancel at any time. Get in on uh, all the, the new, latest, and greatest stuff we have going on. All right, so again, thanks for listening. I love you. God bless.
personally ready to submit your life to God and accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. The book of Romans chapter 10 verse 9 says it really simply that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's that simple. To be born again, to start a new life as a child of God, to join God's army, to rise up against the evil forces that you know are all around you. You don't have to do it alone. I love you. Jesus loves you. And may God bless you.
Doctor said the only way he would make it would be God's will. He called me up one night just to say, Brother, if you would, I need you to pray. So I went to the altar, I fell down on my knees and I prayed, I asked the Lord if he would heal him, and now he's living. If you're here feeling lonely and your burdens you no longer can bear, just come on up to this altar and take it to the Lord. In prayer, come on up to this altar and fall down on your knees and pray. Ask the Lord to forgive you, and you'll be living. Come on up to this altar and fall down on your knees and pray. And ask the Lord to forgive you and you'll be Better days